Look. Can you see it? The hill over yonder. That hill that's got, that's got caves and holes in the side of it that make it look like a skull. Can you see it? You see on top of that hill, there are a number of old wooden crosses. And on one of them, on one of them there hangs a man with a crown of thorns. And the people don't seem to really pay much attention to the other crosses that are there. They're expected, but this one is different. Can you see the crowd gathering around this one? Listen. Can you hear him speak? We've heard him these last few weeks. First thing he said when he was placed on the cross, he looked down at the people at his feet and he looked across the ages and he looked across the nations and the world. He said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. It's no wonder that his first statement from the cross would be, Father, forgive, because that's the whole point of the cross. Father, forgive. Then we heard him speak as he turned to the one. He had had already spoken forgiveness for the many, and then he turned to the one. And he said, today you will be with me in paradise. No wonder that a promise of paradise comes from the cross of Calvary because that is the point after all. The sacrificial lamb dying the death that must be paid for sin in order that we might live. And then we hear him speak again as he looks at his feet and he sees his mother. Imagine the incredible compassion as he is suffering the worst kind of pain and the most excruciating agony and yet he still worries about mama. It's amazing. He says, mother, behold your son. Son, behold your mama. John, go take care of her. And then the lights went out. All of creation rebelled as they saw the Creator hanging on a tree separated for the first time from God the Father. And all of creation rebelled. The lights went out. The sun refused to shine. It is as if creation turned its back in order that it might not have to see what its Creator was going through. And in that darkness, in that lonely hour, separated for the first time, he cries out, not Father. Every other time he'd referred to God the Father in Scripture, he calls Him Father, but not this time. This time it's my God, my God, why? Why have you forsaken me? After going through the process, the forgiveness, 
the promise, the compassion, the agony. Only then did we hear the Savior speak of His own suffering. Only after He took care of the world and the one and mom. Only after He had paid the price for sin did He finally express His own agony. I'm thirsty. And if we continue to listen, we hear Him say one more statement this morning and the final one next week. But we hear Him say this morning something that changes the tone. It changes what has, has been happening as He has been speaking in a time of tragedy. Now, all of a sudden, the words that He speaks next take us from tragedy to triumph. Not the words of a victim, but the words of a victor. We have it recorded for us in John chapter 19 at verse 30. If you have your copy of Scripture with you, look with me there. John chapter 19. But I want us to begin at verse 28. John 19 and 28. We're going to back up and catch a little background. It's going to kind of overlap with the, uh, the text that Brother Todd led us through last week. John 19, 28. After this, Jesus, knowing that all things had already been accomplished. Remember that word, okay? We're going to come back to it. Knowing that all things had been accomplished in order that Scripture might be fulfilled, he said, I am thirsty. A jar full of sour wine was standing there, so they put a sponge full of sour wine upon a branch of hyssop, brought it to his mouth. When Jesus therefore had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. He said, it is finished. That ancient language was proud of itself for one specific thing, and that is how they could, take, they could take grand ideas, big things, and they could use very few words to describe them. And this is perhaps the grandest of examples in that when he said, it is finished, he really just said one word. He spoke the word to Telestai. When he spoke that word to Telestai, it is translated, it is finished. But in that one word, he proclaimed, pronounced, declared the entire gospel. It is finished. That one word, to Telestai, tells the story from beginning to end. The great redemptive story. How God knew before He created man. How God knew before He created the foundation of the world that man would indeed rebel against Him. And God had a plan from before the beginning. He had a plan. That plan was that a Savior would come to die for the sins of mankind. That mankind then might live and be reunited with the Holy God. God had it planned. 
And Jesus now, in this final statement, says it is finished to telestai. It was a great word. It was a word that servants used when they reported to their masters. The master would say, go mow the lawn. The servant would finish the lawn and would come back to the master and say, to telestai. I finished it. It was a word that was used when a prisoner had been, had been rightly convicted, had been in prison, and had finished his, his time in prison. After the prisoner had finished his time, he was released from prison and was given a document. On the document was the word tetelestai. It's finished, completed. I've done my time, we would say. It was the word that an artist would use. After the artist had finished his sculpture or his painting, he would look at it and he would make sure everything was exactly right. There was always one last little thing that he'd want to do. He'd fix this, fix that. And when it was finally done, the artist would step back from his creation and say, to Telestai, it's finished. It was used in the world of finance. In that if I, if I owed you money, I would start to pay that money off. We would agree on how that, how that payment would look and how we would work that out. And then once I made the final payment, you would give to me a receipt that had across the bottom the word to Telestai, paid in full. It is finished. So Jesus hanging on the cross uses that great, powerful, full word, to say, the job is done. I've done my time. The creation, the art has been completed. And the debt is paid. I want us to very quickly this morning consider what he was not saying. And then we'll conclude by looking at what he was saying. But understand, he was not saying, my life is over. This is not the picture of one dying and, and barely breathing and hardly being able to say another word and giving up. It's finished. No, he, he knew that his life was not over. Matter of fact, he had already predicted his own resurrection. He knew that his life was not over. This is not the weakened final breath of a defeated man. We know the scripture tells us that he cried out with a loud voice. In Luke chapter 23, Jesus called out with a loud voice, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. That's the last statement. We'll look at it next week. But the point is, did you notice he cried out with a loud voice, which means he still had strength. There was still power within him there was still life so when he says it's finished it's not oh, I'm done life is over no he was not giving up he was not quitting he was not just dying because he no longer had life he was giving his life because he had completed his task You see, that's what he meant. 
We've seen what he was not saying. Understand what he was saying. Now to fully get this, we're going to have to break it down a little bit. We're going to have to look at it from different aspects, different angles. Let me show you what he was saying. First, he was saying that his suffering had ended. It is finished. In the garden, he prayed, God, don't make me take that cup of wrath. Let the cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. And now, he has taken the last drop of God's wrath. That's when the world shut down, the lights turned off. Creation had too much respect for the Creator to watch Him suffer. Jesus suffered as He took, not just, not just sip by sip, but He took it all. The last dreg of wrath falls from the cup that God made Him drink, and He took it all. His suffering is, is finally ended. Never again is Jesus to suffer. He did it all. In those six hours on that Friday, he suffered all the suffering necessary to appease, to please, to, to pay for the sin of all mankind. Not only did he, was he saying that his suffering has ended, he was saying that his goal had been reached. It is finished means my goal has been reached. After all, this is why he came. Never forget that. Jesus did not come to start another of many religions. I understand that's the way we're taught today. I understand that's the, under, the way we kind of try to tolerate one another and understand one another. But the fact is, he did not come to establish another of many religions. He did not come to heal, to, to teach. All of those things were leading to his primary purpose. He came... To die. My food, said Jesus, is to do the will of Him who sent me and to finish His work. I've come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. How does that happen? When He dies, we get to live. And He says, my, my food, that which sustains me, keeps me going is to do the will of Him who sent me and to finish His work. Jesus was here to accomplish God's will. Notice it says that he, His food was to finish the work. And now He says it is indeed finished. His goal has been reached. He was born to die. That's why we're careful on Palm Sunday to speak mainly about the crucifixion because it does no good to celebrate the fact that he came to Jerusalem unless we understand why he came to Jerusalem. The reason he came to Jerusalem on Palm Sunday was in order that he might die on Calvary on Good Friday. His goal has been reached. 
It also means when he says it is finished, he is saying his sacrifice is complete. He has completely atoned for the sins of all mankind. God's holiness has been satisfied. Man's debt for sin has been paid. You remember we made reference last week, or actually two weeks ago, to the veil. You remember the veil in the temple? The people understood that God actually literally, physically resided in the Holy of Holies. In between the cherubim, top of the the Ark of the Testimony, that God literally resided there. He was separated from the rest of the world by a veil. No one could go into that Holy of Holies. No one could enter through that veil except the high priest, and only he could do it once a year on the Day of Atonement where he entered into God's presence to atone, to pay for the sins of the people. God separated himself from us. Why? Because God is holy. Therefore, he lives in the Holy of Holies, separating himself from the sinful mankind that had rebelled against him, that we did things our way. Isaiah says each of us has has, has gone our own way like like a sheep wanders off on his own. We've all done that. And so we've been separated from him. Holiness and sinfulness cannot coexist. But Jesus' sacrifice paid the penalty for that which caused that separation. Once that penalty was paid, you know what happened to the veil, right? The veil is torn in two. Not from the bottom where man could have reached it and torn his way up to God. The veil is torn from top to bottom. God initiates it rips it open, saying to all of mankind, the debt has been paid, now you and I can relate again. We can be reconciled. 1 Peter chapter 3, Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. Again, in 1 Peter, he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. He died that we might live. His sacrifice is complete. And then also when he says it is finished, he is saying his work is done. His work is done. Only he could do this work. He's the only one who could. Only He could die on that cross to pay the penalty for sin. And He did it all. Ephesians chapter 2. It is by grace you've been saved through faith. And this not from yourselves. It is the gift of God. Not by works so that no one can boast. You have been saved by grace. You understand and receive that through faith. His work is done. He did the work for salvation. What that means is you can't do it. You're not qualified for the job. You can't earn your way back to God. You don't deserve it and you won't deserve it, so He did it on your behalf. 
grace. A young man once asked the evangelist Alexander Wooten, what must I do to be saved? And Wooten looked him in the eye and said, it's too late. The young man said, what do you mean it's too late? What do I do to be saved? And and Wooten said, it's too late. You can't do anything because all that needs to be done has been done. See, Jesus did not come to establish a religion of doing. Jesus came and did it. Established a relationship because it's done. It is finished. Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain and he washed it white as snow. And one more thing I want you to understand before we're done. When he said it is finished, he was saying his enemy is defeated. Understand it is finished is not giving up. It's not quitting. It's not saying my life is over. It is finished is saying we won. We did it. The plan has been fulfilled. The purpose has been completed. It looked like Jesus had lost, but actually he was the winner. He did all he came to do, and Satan no longer has the power to control us or condemn us. In John chapter 12, Jesus said, Now is the time for judgment on this world. Now the prince of this world will be driven out, and I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. He said this, the very next verse explains to us that Jesus said this to explain how he was going to die. He said it's time for Satan to get beat. And the way that's going to happen is when I'm lifted up from the ground, placed on the cross, I will draw all men to me. His enemy was defeated. You see, Satan wants you to live in sin and die in sin. And lose your chance to know God. Jesus became your sin and died for your sin so you could know God and live. In John 3, he said, Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes may have eternal life in Him. What he's referring to is an Old Testament story in which the people had rebelled against God again. They complained and complained and complained and finally God said, enough. And he sent among them poisonous snakes as a punishment for their sin. And when the poisonous snake would bite you, you'd die. And so the people came to Moses and said, Moses, plead on our behalf. We're sorry. We'll we'll get right with God. We'll do what God wants us to do again. And so Moses goes to God and he says on behalf of the people, forgive them. God, help us. Give us a way out of this. And God said, well, you make a snake out of bronze. You put that snake on the end of a pole. You hold the pole way up high. Then anytime somebody gets bit by a snake, all they have to do is look up at the one on the pole and they will live. And Jesus said, that is a picture of what I'm going to do for you. Sin is eating away at you and every time it bites you die a little more and it's going to keep on biting and you're going to keep on dying until death finally overtakes you and it's too late. But 
if along the way, if you look up to me as I am hanging on that pole for you and believe, then you can live. Jesus dying on the cross accomplishes his purpose and wins the victory. And he says it's finished. Bob Hartman used to write most of the songs that were recorded by the Christian rock group Petra. This is how he described what happened that day. In the heat of the early morning, on a hill they call the Skull, the roaring of the angry mob had settled to a lull. All eyes were cast upon the man whose hands and feet were bound. They saw him cry in anguish when they heard the hammer pound. They saw the bloody woven thorns with which his head was crowned. They watched the bloody cross of wood be dropped into the ground. The soldiers gambled for his clothes. They watched them win and lose. They saw the sign above his head that said, King of the Jews. And the sky grew black as the night. The people scattered in fright. The work had been done. Redemption had been won. The war was over without a fight. It is finished. They searched his face for anger, for vengeance in his stare. Instead of eyes that burned with hate, a look of love was there. He prayed for their forgiveness and bowed his battered head. No one knew the meaning of the final words, he said. The provision has been made. The foundation has been laid. He paid the ransom due and tore the temple veil in two and opened up the way for me and you. It is finished.